right. You press the record button. There we go. I think I hit the record button. It says recording. Okay, good. What did I okay. do here? Nothing from what I can tell. It's still recording. Okay, cool. I was like, you can okay. see it. It says I recording. It. it also says stop and it pause. Says recording. So in okay. traditional, unfortunately required reading fashion, <laughs> we yep. figured it out. We did. Uh, we did figure it out. <sighs> How are you? Good. Um, still like trying to deal with stuff by doing fairy makeup, evidently. Same. Same. Welcome to Quarantine Makeup Corner. <laughs> it was. It felt so weird putting on makeup last night for the meet and greet. So, for anybody listening to this part, because we can't edit Zoom audio. <laughs> no, we can't. Amanda and I are both participating in the Miss Plus Size San Antonio competition, which we met, got to meet everybody last night via Zoom call, which was awesome. It was. So... I think it's going to be fun. Seems like a bunch of really cool girls. But yeah, it was weird to be like living in your own filth and then all of a sudden be like, I'm going to make myself beautiful. I have an update. You would love this cheddar, which means I don't like it very much. Oh no. Is it super sharp? Yes. It's good and crystalline. I picked up cheddar because I had an essential whole food run. In case you were wondering. It doesn't taste bad. <laughs> well, because hmm? unfortunately required reading. <laughs> yes. Also, I had required, an essential Whole Foods run. So. Yeah. Required Whole Foods runs, yes. That's going to be our, like, well, it could be our, our, like, sub podcast. Yes. It is. Like, that's, that's, uh, we, you know, we finally figured it out. We finally figured out the secondary podcast where I just talk about wine and cheese. It's required whole foods required whole foods runs but um it's a good cheddar i picked up a cheddar because so what i'm trying to do is not completely run away from the fact that we prided ourselves on being a podcast that mixes cocktails and sass but uh quarantines make that hard to do so i suggested a cheddar if it was possible uh tori has informed me that she ate shredded mozzarella cheese out of the bag in front of the fridge which is acceptable i mean in a quarantine anything right yes but you do have a good cocktail in front of you. So yeah, um, I made a hot toddy. Um, it is very largely informed by whiskey and some tea and some honey. Mm -hmm. I was trying to find the Mike's Hot Honey for this, but it's somewhere hidden in the back of the uh, pantry. So um, that's how, that would be amazing. Right? It'd be just enough um, for this play, which is a Midsummer's Night's Dream, which a lot of people have asked for at this point yeah uh i'm still drinking sweet red out of a mug but this mug is from a funeral home what does your mug say uh hold on eh. charlie marshall funeral home thank you for the mug still tastes like communion wine hey you know what that's fun so i'm far from angry at it what Amanda's probably going to see, but unfortunately I don't think y'all are going to be able to see unless I take a bunch of pictures, is my cats have now colonized the bedroom behind me. So I have Nemo, who everybody assumes is invisible and doesn't exist, laying behind mm -hmm. me. And then Binks just came in to wander the the, uh, the ords of this bedroom, I guess. Hi, what are you doing? Like, I am being a mighty hunter, leave me alone. I will kill all of the cotton balls in this home. Do the cats know that I have a favorite? They don't. Okay. Because I don't think they recognize it. I think River knows she's the favorite. Okay. River assumes that she's everyone's favorite. Because she is. Usually accurate. So. I think Nemo would be favorite if he would acknowledge me. Yeah. Nemo's not really great about acknowledging human beings unless, you know, He's no longer terrified. For that, he has to either be sedated or it has to be digitally. Yeah. 
Like Nemo's great. I will never forget the image of him watching me uh pick up poo from the stairs though. Yeah, with terror, just eyes huge. Not even terror, just like perverse enjoyment. <laughs> like he yeah, just sat there ladies. like a little furry gargoyle and watched me. <laughs> yeah, ladies, that poop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it, it felt weird. But yeah, I, I think River is the favorite because she's yet to scratch me and she's beautiful. Yeah, her her claim to fame is she mostly just screams. She yeah. screams a lot. I feel like I need to put their pictures on the Instagram now. Yeah, you guys are going to get some cats. I hope you enjoy that. And if you don't, I'm sorry. Yeah, if you I mean, it's a quarantine. In, enjoy the cats. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we decided to pick a book that was fairly happy, or at least ends happy-ish. Does it? It ends happy unless you're a feminist. <laughs> so, like any other book? Pretty much. Um, I'm gonna launch into short story long. How dare you? I I dare. I dare. Theseus, the Duke of Athens, is prepping for his wedding to Queen Hipp- Hippolyta, who does not yes. seem very enthused about it which you probably remember she's the queen of the Amazons if you've watched Wonder Woman. Or just well, Red mythology. Her. Yeah, or, you know, read any mythology in class. Ooh, we could do Edith Wharton's mythology. Anyway, um, so for their wedding, they've planned a four-day party with all sorts of activities and entertainment, which also coincides with the moon. Uh, mm-hmm. um, he tasks his master of the rebels to go find fun shit for people to do. And while this is going on, a noble named Aegeus marches into Theseus's court with his daughter Hermia, followed by two men. One is Demetrius, one is Lysander. Aegeus is pissed because he wants Hermia to marry Demetrius, but Hermia is in love with Lysander and won't marry Demetrius. In short, she doesn't want the D. <laughs> uh. um, Aegeus asks, I let you keep that joke, and I, I just want you to know that. I know. You didn't delete it. I was so proud of you. <laughs> Aegis asks Theseus to pull the full powers of the law on Hermia if she refuses. Theseus tells Hermia that she has until after his wedding to consider her options, but she would either be sent to a convent or executed if she doesn't comply and marry Demetrius. That's a dick. Anyway, Hermia and Lysander, and okay, something I want to point out. Demetrius and Lysander have the same amount of wealth, the same amount of clout. Just one of them was picked by daddy. Mm -hmm. Moving on. Hermia and Lysander plan to escape Athens the night after, get married at his aunt's house, which is really far from the city, so they can't get in trouble from Athens. <laughs> uh, they tell Hermia's friend, Helena. Helena is super in love with Demetrius. They used to be engaged, but after he met Hermia, he told Helena to go fuck herself. Helena does not follow the girl code and tells Demetrius what the other two have planned, hoping he'll choose Helena because, you know, oh, look, she's being so helpful. Demetrius goes into the woods to try and stop Lysander and Hermia, followed by Helena. There are a bunch of fairies in the woods, including the fairy king Oberon and the queen Titania. Titania has recently come back from, sorry, from India to, att- er, to all the way, come all the way back from India to England to attend the go. wedding, or Athens, sorry. Let's talk about how this is portrayed in a little bit. Um, because she's coming to the wedding of Theseus and Hippolyta. And if you're listening to their argument, it sounds like they've both slept with one or two of the marrying parties. Kind of interesting. This is definitely Probably. a poly. This is an, this is an open relationship couple that's having some problems and not being very communicative. Mm-hmm. So in the woods as well is a group of Athenian craftsmen practicing a play. They really hope they can get performed for the wedding. Oberon and Titania are fighting over an Indian prince that Titania got on her travels and what to do with him. In short, she knew the mom of this kid, and when the mom died, she took the kid back and was like, I'm gonna raise him as my own little changeling friend. And Oberon's like, yeah, but I could teach him how to party. So that's really where their fight is. The boy is evidently absolutely gorgeous, which they point out, which is kind of awkward, and Oberon wants to make him a knight. Titania's like, nah, he's, he's mine. Oberon doesn't like losing arguments and sends his boy, Robin Goodfellow, to get a magical flower so that he can get a juice that can be put over the people's eyelids. The first person 
that the, somebody sees once this juice is on their eyelids, they will fall madly in love with. So it's better to put it on when they're sleeping. Robin gets the flower and Oberon tells it to put it on Titania's eyelids, but also on the Athenian in the woods because he didn't like how he was treating this girl. So Robin isn't really quite sure who he's supposed to put it on, so he puts it on Lysander, thinking that's the Athenian he's supposed to do to. He also gets really mad at Demetrius because he was super rude to Helena. I'm sorry, for some reason, my thing likes to send sound over. Um, and he's, so, uh, so this is where everything goes to Everything shit. is fine. Everything is fine here. But in the play, everything goes to shit. Yes, everything is fine here. In the woods, everything is shit. <laughs> Don't make me sing into the woods because it's going to happen at some point in time. We're already doing it. We're already doing it. Lysander opens his eyes and the first person he sees is Helena, not Hermia. And he is so enthralled by her that he dumps Hermia, which is really messy. Robin Goodfellow, also known as Puck, tries to undo his mistake, but it doesn't go well. So both Lysander and Demetrius end up in love with Helena, who thinks they're making fun of her. Hermia is pissed and challenges Helena to a fight. Demetrius and Lysander try to fight each other, but Puck mimics their voices and leads them into separate directions in the wood. When Titania wakes Crazy. up, the, the first thing she sees is Bottom, one of the Athenian craftsmen that Robin Goodfellow has given the head of a donkey. Because that's fun. Ass, Bottom, yes. anyway. Titania gets all mushy and in love with Bottom. Successfully distracted, Oberon is able to snag the Indian boy. Robin puts the juice over or on the lover's eyes again. They look at the right people, and by morning, it's all better. Theseus and Hippolyta discover the sleeping lovers in the forest and say, hey, you guys are going to get married with us. Never good. Never multiple marriages, never good. Demetrius and Helena are together. Lysander has Hermia. I swear to God, I need to figure out how to turn off these Facebook messages because no one knows how to leave me alone. Um, after this group wedding, the lovers watch Bottom perform a version of the story of Pyramus and Thisbe. There's a guy who plays a wall. It's a whole mess. When the play is over, everyone is getting ready to go to sleep. Robin Goodfellow comes out and says, okay, I know this was a really, really stupid thing I did, so this could all be a dream. The end. The end. All right. Yay. Yay. The end. So I think we need to pause here. So this is technically a comedy, right? Technically. Is this funny to to you? I think it was funny to people at this time period. Well, that's why I asked to you. Women were women were chattel. Um, I think that yeah, the girls have um, quite a few points. I would have liked Titania to win over Oberon, in all honesty, because that's what would have happened in mythology. She would have taken his ass yeah. down. And so I, I want to, as, as your beautiful uh, devil's advocate most of the time, if you, dear reader, don't find this funny, because of air quotes, modern sensibilities, I wouldn't feel too bad. Because I know like when I read this as a kid, I thought it was a lot funnier, but like now reading it as an adult was like, this is five law and order SVU crimes. And a lot of body horror. Yeah, and a lot of like, so do you want to know one of those weird rabbit holes that I went down recently as far as ethics goes? What? So it's the ethics of uh transportation because the whole thing is like let's look at like a star trek transporter that works by deconstructing your atoms and moving those atoms to their place correct mm -hmm. so the thing is if those atoms move are those still your atoms what are you are you only you when all of your atoms are in one place if any of those atoms move do you stop being you what if something happens? What if there is dust in this transporter? Now, what percentage of you are you and what percentage of you are dust? Like, it's a whole existential mindfuck that I'm fascinated by, which is also called the ship of Theseus problem. I kind of feel like we're not allowed to watch Star Trek together. 
Do I have to explain the shit that Theseus problem? I would. I would explain it. Okay, so the ship of Theseus problem, which I'm using that to tie us back, but also because I like being a drunk philosopher. Um, Theseus has a boat, it's in Athens, and every year the Athenians are like, hey, this boat's really important. So years go by, and like a piece of Theseus's original boat breaks. So the Athenians replace that piece. This continues to go on for many, many years until eventually there are no original pieces of the ship of Theseus, but they keep calling it the ship of Theseus. The philosophical question is, at what time does it stop being the ship of Theseus, or does it ever stop being the ship of Theseus? That as long as it is retaining the memory of the ship of Theseus, is it still that thing? Did it stop being that thing as soon as the first piece of wood was changed over? Did it stop when the last piece of wood was changed over? And that question varies person to person. And uh, it really like kind of fucks with you sometimes, which is why I love those kinds of questions. This is where I'm gonna get in trouble if we have any Russian listeners. So this is like the same thing they do with Lenin's body. So at this point in time, it's mostly plastic yes. pieces um, that they, every year yes. they, they go through. Yeah. If you ever want to be deeply disturbed, read about how they uh, maintain Lennon's deceased body. I kind of like the care that goes into taking care of him. Like, I, I, I don't like him very much as a person. Shocking. But Dude, I kind of respect ministry. the reverence. There's a whole they ministry do. devoted to it. There is. Should we get back to talking about the book and not um, philosophical quandaries? I mean, the whole point of us is usually philosophical quandaries. So yes, let's start with I like being a drunk philosopher. It's very entertaining. Um, Anything can happen in the woods. Yes, which we did not sing. I'm very proud of us. Oh, it was so hard. So hard. I sang it when I was coming up the stairs. Um, So this is- Should we tell our listeners about the uh, do not sing challenge? Yes. So there's a bunch of these on YouTube, but they're like, do not sing challenges for musical theater fans. And there was one that I was watching that was like 10 minutes long. And it's, it opened with Little Shop of Horrors. And within like the three minute mark, there was Hamilton, there was Wicked. I'm like, y'all are awful. Like, how dare you? <laughs> so the woods. I won though. I did not I, sing. You didn't sing. I failed. Anyway, um, the woods have always been considered to be a place of fear, a place of Mm -hmm. just where, I mean, if you're looking at mythology, you're looking at any kind of um, fairy tale or Mm -hmm. horror story that we tell small children so that they stay in bed. It usually involves the woods. I mean, what are our big scary things? That Japanese wood where everybody goes to kill themselves, the one in Romania where you know you see weird things happen the black forest in Germany the woods in Boston during the um the Salem witch trials it's this whole concept of you can do anything when you get there because no one is watching you and you are free however this usually leads things open mm-hmm. to people thinking that all the bad things happen in the woods and so this is kind of where the fairy have their domain which we'll go into the fae a little bit later we will talk about this, but I do, my thing with the woods is that, much like Into the Woods, a lot of, like, fun shit can also happen in the woods. Like, it isn't all bad. Like, actually, like, the old, the older stories of witchcraft and witches, like, going in the woods, a lot of it's just, like, running around naked and frolicking around, like, trees and bushes and stuff. Like, it doesn't really get, like, evil and scary until, like, actual civilization. Like, we don't really start telling stories of, like, the woods are scary until, like, really one civilization into the patriarchy. Hmm? <laughs> the spread of Christianity? Well, the spread of Christianity, civilization, the patriarchy, all things that ruin things. Let's be real. So... The woods, especially for women, is very important because that's where a lot of priestesses and stuff like that did their cool shit, where they, you know, take off their chest coverings and frolic. I feel like that needs to be a shirt. Take off your chest coverings and frolic. 
Well, because they didn't have bras back then. Yeah. And in 2020, evidently, we don't have bras now. <laughs> there was a there was a BuzzFeed video that was like, we're gonna learn how to do bras from like different eras and learn how to tie like a Roman bra, which is just like more fabric around boobs. And I'm like, I would never have survived. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure how uh, fabric would keep you propped up without some extra support or elastic or something. Tori has seen the bounty of Vine Hills. And yeah, our group chat would have seen it last night too if you'd sat up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into some symbols. I'm sure there's more themes, but. We're tired. There's a lot of themes, but it's a quarantine and it's Shakespeare and everyone and their mom talks about Shakespeare. So we're going to go into fairies and inhibition. So some things to think about is the fae were the boogeymen to the English, the Irish, the Scots for a long, long time. It wasn't cute little pixies coming to, uh, joke around in your classroom, Harry Potter style. I mean, it was more, we're going to make the skeleton fall from the ceiling. They were blamed for everything from when your kid got sick to if your kid had colic to, you know, the crops not doing well to your husband cheating on you to getting beaten while someone was drunk. It was often considered to be that they were coming to mess with you. If there was a wide patch of death, it was often blamed on the wild hunt. Um, So there were a lot of things about, you know, not being out at certain times of night, not being out at certain times of the year. And you'll see a lot of this in Germanic culture as well. Um, We get things uh, like, I can't say it correctly, I'm sorry, German friends, but Krampus, um, Krampus, or whatever you do it. um, Krampus isn't super wrong, you're fine. Okay. But it's it's just this fear of, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's causing this. Clearly, it must have a supernatural cause. And I'm part of the group that's like, maybe it was, though. Maybe these alien sightings are actually the fae who have gotten wise to our fears. I just, so there's actually a couple of good lore episodes about this, because especially as um, someone who was raised more with Western culture, I still have like the Tinkerbell image of most fairies and fae, and or I have this image where they're just like horny nymphs who are just like having weird forest orgies. Like I don't really have like the supernatural terror. This is here to steal your children image. Like I have like hippies on LSD in the woods, and that's a lot of what we get with the Hobbit and stuff in the seventies. Yeah. Yes. Um, I went to <laughs> yes. a college whose dorms were named after the Lord of the Rings. So, UCI, Middle that Earth dorms. Sounds... We didn't have a Mordor. I walked in and I asked the uh, guy who was doing the tours, like, oh, is there a Mordor? Because I wanted to simply walk into Mordor. And he just looked at me like he had no idea what I was talking about. I wanted to be like, dude, there's been a movie at this point. I think I hate you, but I'm also proud of you. I mean, I was like 18 and starting to learn that I could be a a jerk face and say things out loud. I mean, I did that way before 18. But um, here's a key thing about, especially like in this instance with the fae and fairies, is that they really symbolize like inhibition. So you see this with nymphs in uh, Greek and Roman mythology, which is where we get nymphomania. If you want to feel clever, I fucking guess. Uh, that they're just these creatures that are really like driven by desire and hedonism, so doing whatever you want. Uh, most nymphs served under uh, Bacchus, which is where you get like the Bacchanal and like wine and overindulgence and sex. Um, a lot of this work also really harkens back to a lot of those like Roman festivals like Saturnalia and as mentioned the Bacchanal. So let's have this giant party with overindulging and here's your chance to be reckless because most societies are super rigid. So you have like a holiday or two to be less rigid. It's like why Mardi Gras exists. If you practice like, well, 
do do Lutherans have Mardi Gras as like a thing, not just like a let's get drunk in New Orleans? It wasn't really ever emphasized to me. I mean, it was more focused on, hey, we're going to do Lent, but we're also not going to be as strict as the Catholics, which is basically just Lutheranism is we're Catholic, but we're not Catholic. We're the Diet Coke of Catholic. Um, Yeah, I used used to call Episcopalianism Catholic light. Oh, Episcopalian churches are awesome. They're so much fun. They're fine. You're like, I'm Catholic. They're, They're fine. They're they're fine. Um, so you see that with in this story especially this sort of like lack of inhibition and you go into the woods and you know you lose your pants and you go crazy and you don't know what's happening. Um, which I actually find kind of terrifying. Like I wouldn't want to go into the woods and like be the victim of what is essentially a crime. What was interesting to me is one of the characters that is mostly affected is Bottom, but he was so comfortable so comfortable with it and before he becomes you know like Titania's little slave friend um he's very very serious and very focused on he wants to be the head of this play he wants to make Mm -hmm. sure that he's got all of his lines correct he wants to tell everybody what to do and then all of a sudden he's like oh I'm in here now yes I want food which freaked me out because in Faelor they're always like don't eat anything they offer you or you're stuck in their kingdom forever. And he's like, I'll be in this kingdom forever. Bring me some hay. Oh, I'm a donkey. Whatever. It's fine. I mean, but at that point, like, what reaction are you going to have? Like, maybe acceptance is easier. Says the person who wouldn't accept it. What I like, too, is that he, he gets very comfortable about being in charge pretty quickly when he's talking to uh, Titania's little like servant fairies and it's going hey cobweb come over here and scratch my head come do this come do this I have all the stuff that I need you to do and I'm sitting there going that's like mommy's boyfriends my mom's boyfriends were not like this just as a heads up we also never met my mom's boyfriends unless she'd been dating them a long time so I'd only ever met two one of them is my stepdad why are you like this? <laughs> because I want to make sure that I don't impugn my mom's character. <laughs> because she might listen to this in quarantine. <laughs> oh no. So. Oh no. Uh, let's yes. Talk a little bit about Orientalism and uh, the fetish- <laughs> fetishization of Asia in this play. Uh. So. This is kind of like a Chekhov's gun scenario where they say Indians so many times that you have to be aware of it, which means that you're meant to pay attention. So Orientalism is this thing that is a fetishization and oversimplification of the Orient slash Asia, which goes about as far as you think, because actually technically Egypt gets a little bit Orientalized. Um... Technically, I think it does have its own word that escapes me because I've been drinking wine. Uh, but like this fetishization and oversimplification of anything that isn't like white people, the West. And that really goes on from like Shakespeare's time, past Byron. I mean, technically still to now, people still do it. But like the golden age of it uh, was around this time. And yeah, I mean like Byron, Victorian era is where it technically ends because around Shakespeare's time we would have had like mummy parties and mummy science so people would be like stealing mummies from Egypt and like grinding their bones to make medicine so that was a thing but the fetishization and continuing to call this Indian boy beautiful and again they keep saying boy so like this is probably a a youth which I get it different time but like still icky um it's just uncomfortable and weird, but a lot of works do this like Orientalism thing because it's exotic and different and Shakespeare would have known at least of India because the Dutch were probably still trading with them. It's a whole thing and it makes me sad at this stage because exoticism is exhausting. (laughs) Yep. So something I find really interesting about this play too and this is the way that the the women fight 
Yes. Um, Helena, I feel really bad for, even though she breaks girl code at the beginning. Because Is it girl code? By going and telling Demetrius where they went? Yeah. I don't know. So it's it's weird to me because when she's when she's talking to Hermia, Hermia's like, what is your freaking problem, basically? And she's like, you took everything from me, you know? Like, it's, it's a mm-hmm. little bit like that Jolene song <laughs> where you're kind of just going, I kind of feel bad for this person, but also it's not Hermia's fault. It's never been Hermia's fault. She's just existing. She's just being herself. And she talks multiple right. times to Alana about, I have spurned him. I have told him to stay away from me. I don't know what his problem is. Like, I'm over on Team Lysander, and Lysander's being weird right now, but that's where I'm going home at night. And just that insecurity and that frustration that you feel the first time somebody breaks your heart and goes off with somebody that you know. And you're just like, are you kidding me right now? What did I do? And there's, there's a lot of references in the play, too, where Demetrius has likely removed Helena's virtue um, because they were engaged and they were supposed to be married. And something that's interesting is, is Helena is very, you know, she's lovesick. She's chasing after Demetrius. Hermia mm-hmm. mentions when Lysander's like talking about, you know, two bosoms and all that and like trying to get her to lay down with them in the woods. And she's like, nah, we're not married yet. Like I've mm-hmm. seen what happens to girls who do this. Right. And I found that really, really interesting. I mean, I'm not obviously trying to slut shame, but that was a different time. And I think that that's emphasized in little bits and pieces throughout. Well, but it's also interesting that like, you see that dichotomy between like the humans and the fae or the fairies or like they're very kind of like free love and it doesn't matter. While humans have all these like rigid ideas, rigid about like (laughs) monogamy and stuff like that which is actually one of the reasons why like i believe in polyamory so much it's just like biology um because there are very few creatures that like are actually monogamous like it's just it it biologically doesn't make a lot of sense hi welcome to amanda's deviant corner um (laughs) i'm a strict monogamist but part of it is because i'm lazy and i can only put up with one person at a time that's that fair. Also, like, I'm, I'm not. I'm also an INFJ, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. That probably has something to do with it. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm weird in the category of like I can be and have been monogamous, but I've also been polyamorous. Um, and I think like ethical polyamory is great. I just think like like BDSM, most people don't do it right, so it comes off as like, oh, well, y'all are just cheating on each other all the time. And it's like, well, no, like true ethical polyamory is not about that and i think that's part of where oberon and and titania have their issue Mm -hmm. is that she's like hey i knew you were sneaking around with this chick i Mm -hmm. saw it and he's like yeah well you were totally doing it with this person she goes no i wasn't i would have told you (laughs) like i think i would have said so i feel like she is much more of a badass than Shakespeare gives her credit for, especially if you read mythology and you read, you know, about the fate. The women were as strong, if not stronger, than the men. It's almost like Shakespeare wasn't always a great writer by modern standards. It's it's entertaining though. I mean, I have to throw in that caveat because I know it's. I I didn't think that I would ever become like the super SJW who like has a harder time with this stuff now it's not that i'm not fully like on the kool-aid where i'm gonna deny its greatness like i'm not that far gone but like it just makes some of this stuff harder to enjoy because it's like that's just such a dumb choice oh it's so hard when helena is going into the whole thing with demetrius telling him to treat her like a spaniel i'm like oh no oh no no like I get it if you're into this Dom subplay, but if you could, like, please make it a constructive relationship and not you following this dude who wants nothing to do with you. Like, girl, you're gorgeous. I know you're super tall and you think that's weird, but no, work it, girl. You're in Athens. Yeah, like, it's just, it's weird. Because, like, I get it. It was a different time, blah, blah, blah. It's still a great, that's fine. But, like, I don't know. That's probably why I write so much fan fiction is, like, 
just do all this stuff better. I'm not better than Shakespeare. I'm just more of a feminist. What's something that's interesting, and I've seen a couple people point this out online as well, is that this play takes place in Athens, but it's mm-hmm. almost never portrayed in Athens. It's often portrayed in England. It's often portrayed in somebody's little Boston garden. Um, the one that comes the closest is a BBC version from about five years ago, which mm-hmm. has a uh, one of the dudes from uh, Doctor Who in it, Bernard Cribbins. There you go. I love him. Um, but it's got, it's got like a ton of people that you're like, hey, wait, I've seen you in like every other BBC thing. But what they do is they make Athens more like Nazi Germany and they make Hippolyta come out initially in like this Hannibal Lecter get up like on the dolly and she's got a face mask and all this stuff because she is more powerful than Theseus, but his kingdom has defeated her because mm-hmm. there's that whole portion in the very beginning where they're talking about, I may have defeated you by the sword, but I will woo you with revelry and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not quoting this directly, so please look it up. But it it's interesting that that was their choice. They basically have all these people in armbands and riot gear and Athens looks like the Reichstag and all this stuff. And you're kind of going, this is really uncomfortable. And when they get into the woods, that's the first place that people actually feel like they can express themselves and be themselves. And that's when you see the women actually say something mm-hmm. out loud. Um, in the very beginning when Hermia is talking to Theseus and basically mouths off like no I'm not marrying Demetrius and then she backs up and she's like I don't know why I felt like I could be so bold but later on she's like in the woods saying exactly what she feels and she doesn't have that like overhanging patriarchy over her yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I mean, Shakespeare's done this a few times where he's like, hey, let's set something not in my backyard, but not really. <laughs> oh, we but, have, we've seen this with Denmark. We've seen this with Italy. We've seen... Was technically Scotland. Technically Scotland, yeah. But um, also, it's pointed that it's Athens because during those times for the ancient Greeks, Athens was like the logic center of the empire um and the and the athenians were stuffy and no one else liked them uh there's actually a really really great crash course episode a crash course world history episode about um the about ancient greece that talks about like athens versus sparta and athens versus persia which is great because like the way we talk about athens is like this home of democracy and blah 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 like no there was a lot of slavery and junk and if you want to compare like Athens to Sparta well the Spartans allowed women to do more stuff so the Athenians weren't all that great but it makes sense that someone as buttoned up and stuffy as a bunch of Athenians would frolic off into the goddamn forest and lose their senses love and madness man love and madness uh apparently love makes people crazy I wouldn't know I've done some crazy crap um, I've laid down on the floor and listened to Taylor Swift's You Belong With Me while crying for two hours. I mean, In I'm lying. Defense, I was 26. I was very stupid. And like, the guy was not worth it. <laughs> In all fairness, I've definitely done some crazy things uh, because of love. I'm completely a liar. I'm a huge romantic. I just shield myself because I know I've done crazy things because of love. Um, a lot of people do believe that love can cause a great deal of madness, hence why we have crime of passion laws. Which probably needs to be explained, doesn't it? If you want. Um, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, though. Do you want to explain a crime of passion? So, we often have, well, I mean, at least in Texas, we have loopholes in the law for people who commit crime well, at the height of a frustration due to love, which is what we call a crime of fashion murder. Um, I honestly think that even when you're that mad, you can find a way to not kill someone. Personal mm-hmm. belief, um, I've been enraged to the point of holding a blade and not hurt somebody with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, maybe that's just me. Yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't believe in crime of passion physically, but emotionally I can kind of understand. 
like I can understand people posting stupid stuff on Facebook. I can understand people posting song lyrics on MySpace in the 90s, or not the 90s, the early 2000s, because I did that crap. Um, but there are certain things that are still unforgivable. Raping somebody because they won't return your affection is not okay. Um, killing someone because they won't return your affections is not okay. Sending someone to a convent because they won't return your affections is not okay. Which is totally a thing they had in ancient Athens, William Shakespeare. I know it's going, I mean, maybe they'd make her a Vestal Virgin, but... But those got to have fun. Sometimes. I mean, sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, so that's Love and Madness. Um, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. So something I do want to point out, just because I read this on Sparknotes, and I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. We often refer to Robin Goodfellow as Puck, and you'll see that in a lot of adaptations. But Puck is his species. Robin Goodfellow is his name. Cool. So that's something I found really interesting. So have we been basically calling him dog this entire time? Pretty much. Okay. But you know what? It's kind of like the Frankenstein versus Frankenstein's monster thing. Like, no, 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 no. Cause that actually pisses me off. And like, people should know the difference. I mean, they should, but we're also in the middle of a freaking pandemic. So that's not an excuse. Well, I mean, it's an excuse for a lot of people to have lost their minds. Uh, we forgot to mention up at the start of this, we are still continuing to practice social distancing oh, we yeah. are in our we respective are, homes. We're recording this on Zoom, so you may hear yes. some uh, bits with the audio not being 100% perfect, and we apologize, but uh, we're also trying to stop the spread of the virus. So. Yeah, you can probably hear rain uh, off my patio. I have yet to bring in my cactus because I am lazy. Toy! Toy is fine. He's a cactus. I know. I, I, but I still love him. I also love him. He might, he, I keep threatening. I think the pandemic will be the thing. I think he's getting a sibling soon. Oh, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. So some notes on the text, just because I want to give you some really famous lines from this play. Um, I heard another one last night when I was re-listening to it, but I can't remember what it was. So I apologize. Oh, by cheek and jowl. That's something you'll hear people say from time to time. That's from this play. Mm-hmm. Uh, though she be but little, she is fierce. Me. True. The course of true love never did run smooth. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. Lord, what fools these mortals be. Accurate. And lovers and madmen have such seething brains. So if you hear these, people use these in, in regular parlance all the time. Um, now you, you do know not just hear from. regular parlance. You. So I have a coworker. We read that mix. There's a McSweeney's article. I have to see if I can find it for y'all. But it's um, Victorian insults, and one of them was, "I didn't bleed out as quickly as Ophelia, that weak trollop." And so my coworker Val, who I love desperately, every once in a while, one of us will just yell, "You weak trollop!" in the office. And now we have to text it to each other because we're working from home. But it's phenomenal. It's so much fun to be able to just be like, you weak trollop, giggle about it, and have nobody else understand what the heck you're talking about. So. Accurate and not false. Uh, the internet has just informed me that it is Robert Downey Jr.'s birthday. Happy birthday, RDJ! I mean, I, I know he's definitely not listening, but. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty. He's Iron Man. And happy belated birthday to our patron, Chris. Happy birthday, Chris! Chris is awesome sauce, by the way. Yeah, totally. Um, and a lot of that is just the fact that we're also friends with him in real life. Well, I am now. Well, kind of in real life, digitally, Facebook. Anyway. Um, I mean, what, what is real at this stage? Well, we know time is an illusion. Yes. Yes, it is. All right. So we actually got a bunch of listener questions this time, which made me really, really happy. Yeah. Um, this, um, this is this a favorite. Uh, yeah. This is a really fun one from Mary. It's fantasy casting if they filmed it this year. This year? So we can't have, like, dead actors or anything? Um, unless you want to use that technology that allows you to have, like, Tupac. Oh. Well, no, I don't want that. Um, Are we going, like, full cast or, like, heavy, or just, like, who who you think would be best in a role? 
I think who you think would be best in a role. You want to do like a couple each? Yeah, I'm trying to think of them. I knew this question in advance and I still am like, eh. <laughs> um, uh, I would love to see Ava Mendez as Titania. Ooh, that's a really good one, actually. Or Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson does need more roles. She's so beautiful. I'm having one of those moments where I can't think of any actors' names. Um, Oberon. Who's a hot guy? Oh, I have a few. I mean, yeah, there is a few. I think Chris Evans would make a good Demetrius. That's really? just what I want to see Chris Evans. Okay, um, here. Who is my Witcher? Oh, Jason Momoa as Oberon. No. Yes. No. No. No, 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 no. I'm going to go completely other end for Oberon. I'm going to go like soft Tom Holland. I see Tom Holland more as a Lysander. Uh, can we get like a Timothy Chalamet for Lysander? Okay, I don't know who Timothy Chalamet is. He was in Call Me By Your Name. I didn't see that. I'm sorry. Oh, you were one of the five queer people who didn't see Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to. That's fine. Um, oh, Google reminded us that Robin Williams is dead. Thanks, Google. Could you Thanks, not? Google. We haven't forgotten. Um, I want to cast Henry Cavill in this just because I want to cast Henry Cavill in this. Is who? Like, Demetrius? No, I want him to be Oberon. I'm fine with that. He has a good butt. He has a really good butt. He has okay, a good butt. So we've left out Robin Goodfellow. Who do we have? Who is a comedic actor who could pull this off? Although I think Stanley Tucci did an incredible job. Can I get like... <sighs> mm. Who's the guy that plays uh, Lord Baelish in Game of Thrones? Oh, I can't think of his name. Hold up, I'll find it out. Who do you want him to be? As a Robin Goodfellow. The actor is Aiden Gillen, which I probably should have known. Okay, perfect. Jennifer Lawrence for Helena. Sure. Okay, but sure. Hermia. Hmm. Who would be Hermia? Hmm. Rachel Adams? Rachel McAdams? Yes. We could do that. Good one. Thank you. Maybe Maisie Williams. No. She she looks like she could cut you. She is little, but she is fierce. True. Okay. True. But I do want to know what, what y'all think, too. So if you want to share on our Twitter or on our Facebook and tell us who you think you would cast, that would be awesome, too. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I so fun fact, I do a lot of fan casting with um, some of my friends. Like, this is something that I do a lot. So, this is a question that I've uh, reveled in a little bit too much. So, we do have one. What would a bromance between Oberon and Puck look like? Um, that movie, I Love You, Man, that's what I think of. I think of Paul Rudd, and I think of, um, why can't I think of his name? I was in love with him for a very long time. It'll come back to me later. But that's what I think of. Like the slap of the bass in the garage. Like that's, that's it. That's, that's what I think of. Yeah, I think it'd be a little bit more homoerotic than that. Because I feel like these two would basically be gay for each other. But like, it's okay as long as we don't make eye contact. Like, I feel like these two would be a lot more like overtly gay for each other. I mean... Robin Goodfellow is definitely very, 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 very protective of his master. Yeah, like, I, I think that they would be, I think they'd definitely be a little bit closer than just bromance, but it would be like, it's, it's fine. We're, we were both just frustrated. It was a biological imperative. We, we didn't look at each other. So another really good question. How do you feel about Hermia and Hippolyta's representations in the story? 
being that they're based both based off of strong mythological women with unusual roles in the story. And that's something that's really interesting to me is Hippolyta is basically a throwaway in this. Yeah. Play. Queen of the Amazons, probably missing her left breast. Mm-hmm. Champion could kill you where you stand. But, you know, she's marrying some dude who's a duke in Athens. But I mean, I think at this stage, like, you have to think about it as fan fiction with the dressings of these character names, like, rather than these actual fictional characters. Shakespeare fan fiction. I mean, that's what it is. So, like, um, I'm going, I'm going to give y'all an anecdote, but it does tie in. So, Tori, do you remember the horrible American, like, 90s Godzilla? Yes, against my will. Okay, so Japan obviously hates that Godzilla because it's bad. Um, so, so do most Godzilla fans that I'm aware of. Yeah, so in the canon, they refer to that Godzilla as, um, I think it's Gino or Gino, um, Godzilla in name only. Oh, uh, I feel so, like I think you kind of have to approach it that way. Like, this isn't the. Hippolyta that you're used to in the other stories like at this stage like basically Shakespeare threw a dart at a name and a dressing out of a story and he's really making this his own so I think that dissonance especially like here's a mark on the bingo board where Amanda somehow ropes in fan fiction because I'm used to this happening a lot where like sometimes characters are super out of character it didn't bother me as much and also because like I'm not that attached to those older stories I know them but like they aren't bases for my personality like I don't super care about like Hippolyta no disrespect to people that do that's just me well you see this too with with, like we talked about already with Titania and or Titania depending on how you want to pronounce it um (laughs) which way is correct it's I'm tired um it's really kind of hard to to distance especially when Shakespeare does the whole Helena thing where he makes reference to Helen of Troy Mm -hmm. and you're just going oh my gosh um but yeah that's that's where we'll leave off on there we have not once said Auburn and I'm quite proud of us so I love this this should Aegeus have suffered the same fate as Nick Bottom and the uh this is from Sam, who said, I just never liked Aegeus. Um, or Aegeus, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I want to call him Egregious. Um, I think we could we could go a little worse. We could make him into a gorilla. Or goat. He'd be a good goat. Why are you like this? Um, I've been stuck in a house for many, many days. What is your, or who is your favorite character? Who is your favorite character and why? I think this um, is from Jessica. I feel like my answer is not going to be shocking, so you go first. Titania is still my favorite. Or Titania okay. is still my favorite. Um, but that's more mythology and less display. I still really like Oberon. Like, I just love the idea of, like, this cool, beautiful king of fairies. Like, that's just, like, an aesthetic that I'm really here for. I can see you being a Robin Goodfellow, too, but I don't think you would get it wrong as often as he does. I think it's kind of like our discussion. So what's a competent Robin Goodfellow but an Oberon? Yes, that's true. Um, It's kind of like our whole thing about how we're Slytherins, but we don't support Malfoy because we think anyone with half a brain could do better than Malfoy. Absolutely. A brain-damaged parrot could do better than Malfoy. All right. Did we have to read this in school? Yes, I did. Do you remember when you had to read it? I feel like I was relatively young. Like, this might have been, like, a junior high read, I think. Really? Mm-hmm. Mine was sophomore year in college, and I power read it because I had two, 20 units at the time that I was working on. Yeah, I feel, I, I want to say that this was, like, I think this was, like, a junior high read for me. Like, this was relatively young. 
Also, there's a Wishbone episode on this, and it's great. There was a Wishbone episode? I didn't know that. I love, I remember the one about the Odyssey. That was, like, my favorite one. There is a Wishbone on this, I think. Okay. So, there are a ton of adaptations of this. Um, I refused to pay $3.99 to watch the one with uh, Stanley Tucci, so I just watched clips on YouTube. Um, There is a version with Helen Mirren and Judi Dunch, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. The BBC one from a few years ago where, like I said, Athens is Nazi Germany for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a version from the 30s. There's radio plays. Honestly, this is one of those things, kind of like we've talked about Shakespeare in the past, where, and Tom Stoppard, where it's better to actually see this performed or hear it performed than to read it yourself, because Mm -hmm. you'll miss a lot of context. Mm -hmm. This is true. And also, like, and maybe this is something that we can do a little bit more moving forward, is, like, maybe acting out a couple of scenes, if you want to, to be my scene partner, Tori. Okay, so I gotta warn you in advance. I was the overdramatic fuck in high school that would like climb up on balconies and perform Juliet. So if this is something you really want to do, I am here for it. But you need to be warned in advance of what you're getting into. Sorry, I took a Latin oration. Don't worry, I think I can hold my own. Yeah, I think you're gonna be fine. <laughs> I'm also the shortest Javert that has ever existed. I can see this. I can see this. And I'm frightened. All right. Nothing like having to say look down when your Valjean actually has to look down on you. (laughs) All right. So there are a lot of resources for this one. Um, We fell into the Sparknotes rabbit hole, as usual, or I did. did not yep. use Wikipedia this time because I just didn't feel like it. Um, thug notes, overly sarcastic productions, crash course. We will include links to all of these, um, and obviously reading it directly. So we're a little up in the air, I think, about what our next book is. Yeah, we'll we'll try to make some announcements as soon as possible. We're also doing our best to stay like as close to our usual schedule. Uh, we're very very fortunate that we do get to record from the safety of our own homes. So we really don't ever have to stop our content unless either of us fall ill, which hopefully neither of that happens because we're both being responsible and social distancing. Um, but we'll try to keep you all posted. I, I do think that the next couple of books that we're going to work on are going to be a little bit lighter in tone just because, you know, uh, we're kind of going through it. Uh, to be candid, I know that this has kind of kicked uh, my depression in the side. So I don't know if I have the emotional bandwidth to read something super heavy right now. My anxiety is like Mushu waking up from the uh, stone going, Ali! That's, um, that's my anxiety right now. So we are, we are doing our best. We know you are as well to yeah. stay calm, do what you're supposed to do, keep your hands washed and stay indoors. So um, yeah. We'll keep reading, we'll keep churning out the content, you keep listening, and you take care of yourselves. Yeah, um, if you'd like to continue to support us, feel free to uh, sponsor us over on Anchor. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, That helps keep us going, but also I think we're doing some fun stuff with the money that we'd normally spend on wine and cheese. Uh, If there is a particular cause or something like that that you'd like for us to take a look into, uh, bonus points if it is literary, but it doesn't have to be. If there is a cause that's near and dear to your heart, we'll definitely take it under consideration because uh, this has been a great time to be uh, reflective and think about the world beyond our sphere of being drunk literary critics. We also just sponsored a tile at uh, Jane Austen's roof for for one of the our- house. For the house is one of our, our little missions because Jane Austen is awesome. Um, we did also start yes. a bookshop.org store, which is mm-hmm. now portrayed at the top of our website. It'll say store. So if you click there, you can either see our Redbubble site or bookshop.org. Uh, bookshop.org donates large portions of their profits to groups like um, 
independent bookstores and mm -hmm. also has a really good um, kickback for us if you buy a book through there. Obviously, you're not required. We do encourage you to use libraries, but if you're like, this is the time for me to fill out my bookshelves, we get it. Um, mm -hmm. You guys are awesome, and thank you for continuing to listen and support us. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I know it's hard to stay positive right now, but um, we will get through this. I And I definitely think that we'll get through this better together. So keep reading. We'll keep reading. And we're gonna, if we're gonna survive. If you're bored and you wanna mess around on social media and say hi, uh, we're at Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook, Unfortunately mm -hmm. RR on Twitter, Unfortunately mm -hmm. Required on Instagram, or you can just go to our website, find the whole shebang at the same time, unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com. Or if you wanna mm -hmm. send us an email, we're at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, I had fun. Did you have fun? I had fun. This was a good distraction and I got to put on fame makeup. So that was fun. I demand to see a cat before you go. Oh, okay. Hang on. This is. Thanks. I think they're all in here right now. Um, and we have Nemo who is sleeping. And is all mad that I'm bugging him. And then River was down on the floor. I don't know if you can see her. Baby. Trifecta, we got all of them. We got all of them. They're all near me right now. I think it's because I fed them earlier. Okay. That's now, probably it. Enjoy yourself, stay in quarantine, and go read a book. <laughs>